Happy Valentine's Day. Look at y'all coming to church on a Valentine's Day night. I'm so proud of y'all. Y'all the real ones out here. I want to give a special shout out before we begin to my wife who's sacrificing her Valentine's Day night to let me be here. She's the best. She's amazing. She's at home with our children. We love Michelle. We sure do. Oh, thank you. It's very nice of you. I am... Um, I had this thought today, but I'm, I'm really looking forward to you guys getting to spend more time with my wife and getting to know her more and hear from her more. She's awesome. You'd really like her. She's at home with the kids a lot, and we just have, I believe, rightly chosen to prioritize family. So she's there a lot with the boys, and I think that's a good investment. But one day, those kids are going to be a little bit older, and then she's going to be around here a lot, and I'm looking forward to that. So shout out to you, Michelle. Thank you for being home with the kiddos. Um, two, two rounds of applause, Michelle. Wow. Two to Wow. Sacrificing for the church in so many ways. Um, it was that thing of tonight, you know, like, do I interfere with somebody else's Valentine's Day night? Like, do I tell Marcus, sorry, Pastor Tiff has to be here to preach. She's not going to be able to go on a date with you. <laughs> like, Heather and Corey are cute. They come to church for their date. So they would have been here anyways, sitting over there, little lovebirds, looking all cute. Yeah, I didn't want to ask Corey to preach. I want to see him sit over there. And uh, so, you know, you take one for the team, but we weren't sure at first what we're going to do tonight because, you know, we're in this worship series that we've been in for a number of weeks and it's like, it's Valentine's Day, which is like kind of a real, real holiday, but kind of not a real holiday. And do we pause? Do we do a sermon on love and relationships? Do we take a break? And I was presenting all of that to our teaching team uh, a couple of weeks back and Pastor Miata just goes, other loves. And I said, What? And she said, stay in the series on worship, but talk about how there are always other loves we're chasing, other loves we're desiring more than God, other loves we want to worship that aren't him. The title of my message tonight is Other Loves. Would you stand with me for the reading of the word of God? We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 11, and we're going to read through chapter 7, verse 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 11. This is the word of the Lord. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You're not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, and I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. And I will be my, their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. And touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you and I will be a father to you. And you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Chapter 7, verse 1. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we welcome you into this place tonight. God, that you would do the work. That you would grant us a revelation of who you are that your word would ring true in our ears, that you would speak to the places that have gone unspoken to. 
Father, will the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing and acceptable to you in this space? And Lord, I am asking that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart that can understand what it is that the spirit of the living God is saying to us in this place. Lord, we love you and we honor you here. Come and have your way, I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. And you may be seated. There was a study that was done recently that tracked the behavior of toddlers in different settings with different people. And they were tracking how many negative behaviors or bad behaviors or outbursts the child would have depending on who was with them. So they might put them in a room with a teacher, a babysitter, an aunt or an uncle, their father, their mother, and they would just watch the scene play out and they would just take a log of the types of behaviors and interactions that the child would have with a person that they were with. And um, moms in the room will feel justified and all of this will make sense uh, because what they learned from the results of the studies is that when toddlers are with their mothers, they behave 800% worse than they do with anybody else. 800% worse with mom than with anybody else. Now, why is that? If we step back and think about it for a second, it's, I mean, there's some things just right on the surface. It's like mom is mom. Mom is unconditional love. Mom is always there. Mom always wants to make it work. Mom always wants to have you back. Mom's not going anywhere. And there's something subconsciously that we know even as children that, that mom is going to be there to care for me no matter what I do. And so it goes for all of us that often the people who pour out the most, who care the most, who love the most, who are there for us most often are the people that we forget to recognize and sometimes forget to acknowledge that they're even there in our lives. I know the moms and the dads in the rooms can say amen. amen. I know the Tech and AV team can say amen. <laughs> always there for you, always serving, never seen, underappreciated. Love you guys. This is always going to do a lot of love in the room tonight. Yeah, I like this. Let's, let's honor each other. This is good. This is true for all of us, right? Your parents, your spouse, your very good friends, those are the people, the ones who show up day after day after day who are there for you and have your back. These are the people over time you forget are always there and always have your back, and you forget often to thank them, to recognize them, and to honor them. So I just thought, since there's a lot of love in the room and there's a lot of joy in this place, I just thought maybe we could just... just just honor the good friends in the space. Like, if you got a faithful friend, like, can we just thank our faithful friends, the ones who are always there? Maybe there's a text message you need to send to somebody who's always been there for you. Maybe they're sitting with you tonight. You couldn't find a date, so you came to church. They're with you because they're a good friend. When you were by yourself, they said, you're no longer by yourself. You're with me. They're your ride or die through thick or thin. You understand what I'm saying? Like, there's just some good friends who are good to be around. And our nature, for whatever reason, is that we always take good friends for granted. We always take our parents for granted. Now, the reason I bring all of this up is because the portion of Scripture that we read tonight uh, is written by Paul, who's a spiritual father in the faith. And Paul, based on the way he's writing, it's safe to say he is being deeply taken for granted by the churches that he's writing to. In this letter to the church in Corinth, what Paul has just finished doing over the first uh, five chapters or so as he's writing to them again is he's re-explaining the gift of the gospel, 
the life that is found, the light that it brings into your life, and the call that you get when you, when you follow Jesus to partner in this new ministry of reconciliation, that you don't just become a recipient of the gift, you get to be a giver of the gift. And Paul's been painting this beautiful picture of what the gospel is, what it means, and what it does for you, and how you can participate in that, and he's petitioning his listeners to take him seriously. And to listen closely, because he has gone to great lengths to make sure that they've got this good news. And right before our passage, he begins to explain and just recap all the things they've suffered just to get this message to the church in Corinth. And as I just review it for a second, just imagine that you had a friend like this. A friend who would go through all of these things just to give to you the thing that mattered most to them. Like, that's a real friend. That's a real one. Paul says, we've suffered affliction, hardship, and calamity. Beatings, imprisonments, and riots. Sleepless nights and hunger. We've walked in purity, patience, and power. They've spoken with earnest hearts, ministering the truth out of love, pouring themselves out for these people, laboring day by day, practically killing themselves just to serve them, just to love them. And it's like they get nothing in return. It's actually much worse than that. If you read it, they they actually get opposition in return. Paul goes to these great lengths to give to them the greatest gift, and it's like they're not even open to receiving it. Their hearts are hardened, and their ears are closed. And so Paul approaches them where our passage starts like this. He goes, listen, man. <laughs> he didn't say it like that, but that's how I read it. Listen, man. <laughs> our hearts are wide open. We're speaking freely to you. We love you. We've got nothing against you. We are for you. And I'm trying to help you find the freedom that is on the other side of the gospel. I'm trying to show you the life that is on the other side of faith in Jesus. All I'm asking you to do is to open your hearts up to us in the same way we've opened our hearts up to you. I wonder what closes your heart off to the love of others. I wonder what it is that makes your heart hard and rejects the love and the affection of those who are trying to give it to you. Let's go deeper for a moment. I wonder what closes your heart off to the love of God. I wonder what hardens your heart to receiving and enjoying and walking in and abiding in the precious love of God. This is my first thought for tonight. It's the first question, which is this. What keeps you from love? Because the reality is you were made to love and be loved by God to abide in him and he in you. So it makes sense if you were made to love God and to be loved by God, it makes sense then that the devil is gonna spend a lot of his time trying to corrupt uh, the seat of your love, to corrupt your heart, your relationships, and your affections, to make your hard heart. So many of us have a hard time receiving the love of God because not... The love God has shown to us has been bad, but because the love of others that has been shown to us has been bad. And the devil will use whatever he wants to corrupt the affection God wants to give you. And so he affects your relationships. And he uses the pain and the hurt and the heartache to make you feel some kind of way about receiving love from the Father. Because the devil knows that if he can stop you from loving, he can stop you from knowing God. First John 4, if we know love, then we know God. 
for God is love. So more often than not, it's our relationships that the devil is seeking to destroy. He's after our hearts. He's after our love, which is why we need to fight for the relationships we're in. We have to contend for our marriages. We have to contend for our friendships. We have to contend for our families, for the relationships that are before us. We need to wage war and go to bat for them because the devil certainly is throwing everything he's got to corrupt them. Amen? And the greatest tool he uses to do that is you. The greatest issue facing healthy relationships is selfishness. And when it comes to knowing and loving and worshiping God, we battle that same issue of selfishness. The Corinthians were worried that Paul was trying to change them or that he was asking too much of them. They saw Paul as someone who was trying to spoil their fun, who was trying to restrict their behavior, who was trying to keep them down instead of lift them up. And many of us see God and approach God that same way, that it is God who is oppressing something onto us, is trying to change us, is trying to restrict our fun, trying to limit our behavior. And if we see God like that, it will be our own affections that prevent us from loving him rightly. And if we can't love him rightly, then we certainly cannot worship him rightly. If we're not sure what we might have to give up, we will avoid entering into a relationship with him because we're not sure what we're gonna get is better than what we may or may not lose. So out of selfishness, we have a desire to stay the same. Selfishly, we also just wanna keep our options open. Let's be honest. Going all in sometimes, giving all of yourself to somebody or giving all of yourself to God can be a scary proposition because you're not sure what he might ask for from you. And if there's something else we love, then we won't give ourselves wholly to God. And you ought to give your whole self to the ones that you love. But if you love your sin, if you love the pleasure you get from it, if you love your dysfunction because it's all that you know, If that's what you love, if there's a place of your heart that still is in those places, you'll run from God and reject his love because there's something else that occupies a place in your heart that God is supposed to occupy. And there's a part of you that's not willing to die to that just yet. You want to keep that part. You want to keep that option open. You want to be able to return back to it just in case. And it's hard to love God with a whole heart when your heart is fractured. And fragmented. We don't like the idea of what we might lose, so we don't commit fully. Our selfishness also reveals itself through self-preservation. And this one I deeply understand, but still it needs addressing, which is when life has been hard on you and it's burned you, you've been hurt before by God, by people, you've prayed the prayer, it wasn't answered. You get tempted to play it safe in life, to use less faith, to open yourself up to fewer people, to try to protect yourself from future hurt. For a lot of us, life has taught us to be wary and to be hesitant. Past pain, past hurt, traumas, it's been our lived experience that has deeply affected us and shaped who we are and how we interact with others. And for many, it has been what we've experienced that has taught us that it's unsafe to give that much of ourselves to another person, let alone to God. And out of self-preservation, we allow our hearts to grow cold and to harden and to close up. And that is the effect of sin. Matthew 24, 12, Jesus says, because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will, be cold, will, will grow cold. 
It is the immoral deeds of others, the lawlessness, that causes the light of love in our heart to be extinguished. It's hard to love God if you're not sure if he's good. And it's hard to love God if you're not sure he's playing fair. It's hard to worship him if you're not so sure about him. So my question is, what is keeping you from fully embracing the love of God? And on the other side of that, what is keeping you from fully expressing your love for God? Where did the wounds come from that keep you out of a genuine relationship with him? Because the Bible is clear. His heart is wide open to you. It's wide open to you. The love of the Father is available and ready, and it is willing. It desires you. You were made to love him and to be loved by him. And much like the Corinthians, if there's something keeping you from him, it's probably you, not him. Something in your own heart, some affection that you have that is keeping you out from the love of God. It is these things that we tie ourselves to that keep us from experiencing fully the love of God. And that is why the next thought Paul offers in this passage is what? So do not be unequally yoked. Let's put up uh, 14 and we'll go through 16 just real quick. Our amazing AV team who's working on the fly. Look at that. What are you tied to? This is my second question. What keeps you from love? Number two, what are you tied to? Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? Now, if you've been around church at all, I know you've heard this passage preached and you've heard it preached one way. Dating and marriage. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers don't get married to someone who is not saved, which is not the context of the passage, but it's still a good word. So let me just, if you love God and are pursuing the will of God for your life, don't attach yourself to someone who isn't. See, I think some of y'all don't know if you agree with that. I should have got a hearty amen. So let me say it again. And I know that person you're going to have to let go of is coming to mind, and that's okay. God is greater. God is greater. God is greater. If you love God and are living your life pursuing him and his purposes, don't attach yourself to someone who isn't. Amen. Don't attach yourself to someone who is pulling you out of the will of God and out of the presence of God. If the relationship you're in is pulling you towards sin and away from God, run. Sin is not to be trifled with or messed around with. It's not cute. It's deadly. Do not tie yourself to someone who is going to pull you away from God. Your partner will either be a burden or a blessing. They'll bless you up or they'll weigh you down. Don't let the person you partner with pull you away from God and weigh you down with sin. Amen? That said, Paul is not speaking about dating and marriage relationships. He is speaking about all relationships. 
So it's way beyond just that. He's talking about the partnership between darkness and light, between righteousness and lawlessness, between the temple of God and idols. He says, what portion does Christ have with Belial? Belial is a word that can mean a couple things. We're not exactly sure the translation. It could mean worthlessness. It could mean the place from which there is no ascent, which is a whole word. I think I need J.C. Stevenson to come up and preach that one for me. The place from which there is no ascent. It also could just be a personal name for the devil. The purpose is this. Paul is making is this. What partnership, what agreement does Christ have sitting next to and on par with things that are worthless? What, what does Christ have to do with being in a place you can't ascend from? You don't put God and demons next to each other. Christ is highly exalted. He is lifted up. He is glorious. He is exceedingly great. He is above enthroned, enthroned above all things. He has no business being compared to or seated with the devil. They are polar opposites. They are unrelated. The point he's trying to make is there are some things that have no business being together. And yet, our hearts are always trying to mix things that don't mix. And no matter how hard we try, no matter how much we want it, it's not going to work. You may have been in a relationship like that. You might be thinking of somebody out on a date tonight who's in a relationship like that. They're together and you know they got no business being together and you're being polite. And you're not being a friend. And before you send off any texts, talk to the person who's discipling you to get wisdom. <laughs> but I mean it. There are some things that have no business being together. And I've seen friends and people in bad situations. And we have this like American politeness that's like, well, it's not my business. I don't want anything to do with it. And you're watching people you love and care about. Head down a path towards destruction. Lead them into sin and away from God. And you say, it's not my business. But if God has put you in their life, maybe there's a reason you're there to at least flash a warning sign. At least to say, hello, hello, what partnership does righteousness have with lawlessness? What partnership does that darkness have with your light? These things, they're not just polar opposites. They're completely incompatible. And this is what Paul is describing as being unequally yoked. So let's talk about that for just a second. Unequally yoked, does that mean we can't have any relationships with those who don't call Jesus Lord? An obvious answer is no. In the same letter, Paul encourages the church to attend dinners at the house of unbelievers. In 1 Corinthians 7, he encourages those who are married to unbelievers to stay in that marriage as long as is possible. So there's not a prohibition from having any relationship or interaction with people who are non-believers. So what is Paul saying? I believe what Paul is trying to communicate is I think he's trying, he is directing us to avoid close attachments with those who may lead you astray. The metaphor, obviously, is two oxen that are yoked together. And when two oxen are yoked together, one ox cannot go where the other ox is not going. One ox cannot go where the other ox is not going. They can only go to the same place. So, if you are trying to get closer to God and they are not, you cannot go where they are not going. 
If you are trying to honor God with your body and with purity and the other ox is not, listen, you cannot go where the other ox is not going. When you are yoked together, you go everywhere together. And if you're not in agreement about where you're going, you will always go towards the stronger ox. And the greatest folly that I see in Christians on this day is that they think their willpower is stronger than the pull of sin. Well, I don't want to sin. Me neither. That has had no effect on me all of my life. I've not wanted to, especially since knowing the Lord. I'm not like, I can't wait. No, 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 no. There's a pull and a temptation and a brokenness within me that even when I'm like, I'm just not going to do it anymore. It's not my strength and it's not my power that keeps me out of sin. It is only the Holy Ghost. Only. And we think because we don't want to anymore, we actually have the strength to not. And that is a lie from the devil. We need to get over that lie. We need to acknowledge the reality. We are not as strong as we think we are. The pull of sin is greater than your willpower. It is stronger. And the hubris to think you can pull somebody else up out of their sin. There's only one who does that. There's only one who pulls others up out of their sin. But listen, listen, anybody can pull anybody into their sin. And when we're tied to somebody, relationally, business-wise, mentor, whatever it, whatever it is, it will be the weight of sin over time that overpowers your willpower and your desires to do what is good and right. And it will pull you into it eventually. I know we want to get those people out. I know, but you ha- we... We were never the saviors of the story. We were the witnesses to the story. We were the ones that said, hey, listen, I saw him save somebody. I saw him save me. I witnessed the one who pulled me out of that life and brought me into light, into freedom, and into hope. Do not tie yourself to something that is leading you astray because you'll find yourself astray. Or at best, you end up going nowhere because you're pulling in opposites directions and you just don't move until somebody gets tired and worn down and wore out and that person caves. So the biblical advice is what? Don't get yoked to them in the first place. Crucify your fleshly desires and run and pursue the upward call of Christ on your life because there are some things that have no business being together. You were made to worship the Lord, to love him and to be loved by him. Tim Keller said, our hearts are idol-making factories though. So although we are made to worship, the truth is this, if we don't worship the divine, we will worship the profane. You will pour your affection out on something. You will give your love to something. And what this passage and what the Bible is making so clear for me is that there there is no room for other loves in the temple of God. I mean, he says it. He says, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? And we are the temple of God. So don't go thinking, what what agreement does the church have? We shouldn't have idols in the church. No, Paul is saying, you're the temple. You're the place. You are the thing within which God himself wants to dwell there. What what space can there be in your heart for other gods? 
for other loves. Be mindful of what you yoke yourself to because you will worship what you walk with. My third point, you were made for God's love. Let's read 15 through 18. For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you and I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. The reason for not yoking yourself to unbelievers is because you were made to be yoked to Christ. Take my yoke upon you, he says in Matthew 11. Learn from me. As you walk with God, you find that that yoke and that burden, it's easy and it's light because you're walking with the one who knows how to carry it. You were made to be with God and for God to be with you. Paul is speaking so crystal clearly. I love it. He says, you are, we are the temple of the living God. That means you are a sacred space. You are a place that God himself wishes to dwell. You are the one God desires to be with. He has made you his temple. And what does he ask of us? Just that we would prepare him a place worth occupying. That we would be distinct from the world. That we would be separate. That we would not be consumed by it and fill our hearts with the love of it, but to be set apart and different from it. Do you know what happens when we get unequally yoked? When we tie ourselves to things, people, places, professions that are opposite and contrary to God? What happens is that we begin to operate out of a place of duality. Our authentic self begins to diminish because we're splitting affection. We're splitting attention. We're splitting our dreams. We're splitting our desires. We're one person in one space, another person in another space. And when we operate out of a place of duality, we lose our sense of authenticity and we begin to pursue unhealthy desires because they feed a part of us we are identifying with. And we're allowing things that we normally wouldn't allow because we've created space for this part of us to exist and to be validated and to be seen as a genuine part of us when it's a fragmented part of us. And that fragmented part of us wants to be loved as well. It wants to be fulfilled as well. And it will chase down and pursue anything that gives it a whiff or a scent of satisfaction. And that fragmented part of you welcomes other loves. Loves that don't fulfill. Loves that don't satisfy. Loves that don't value your worth or honor your dignity. Loves that leave us empty and desiring more. The Lord, your God, is saying, be separate from those things. Don't tie yourself to them. Be separated from them. You've been called righteous. Why are you messing around with unrighteousness? You've been brought into the light. Why are you running back into the darkness? You have been made into the temple of the living God. You are in the world, child, but you are not of the world. God has made you to operate not in duality, but in singularity for the one identity that he gave you, for the one purpose that he created for you. He wants you to operate in unity and in order, not in duality and division. For when we do that, we begin serving a multitude of masters. And everything 
that can capture our affection becomes our Lord. And all these other loves do is defile the temple. You can bring unholiness into the temple. And the temple does not purify the unholiness. The unholiness defiles the temple. God is saying, you, as my dwelling place, as my temple presence, the place I want to abide in, ought to be different from the world. It ought to be set apart. It ought to be cleansed. It ought to stay clean. Because then, when you are set apart for me, then I can be like a father to you. And I can call you sons and daughters. But if you aren't willing to be set apart from the world, if you aren't willing to give up the other loves in your life, then God can't occupy the seat he's supposed to sit in. And God does not take a secondary seat. He takes the primary seat or he doesn't sit. Because what is true is that when the temple is defiled, the one thing I know is that God is not there. Which is a mercy, by the way, because the, this is a separate thought, but the holy righteousness of God and the pure justice of the Lord has every right to immediately purify and eradicate any unholiness in his presence, but he doesn't. He gives us a chance to repent and turn back to him. And so instead of eradicating, he just, he steps back. If you're constantly defiling the temple, there's at one, least one thing I can be sure of, which is God won't be spending much time there. There is only one space in our heart for one primary love. I need to love God more than I love Michelle so that I can love Michelle. And I need to love God more than I love my children so that I can love my children, and I need to love God more than I love you. I need to love him more than I love ministering and preaching. I need him to love more him. I need to love him more than I love like working and doing things because if I love anything else more than him, everything else will defile my love for him. If I love being affirmed by you more than I love honoring the word of scripture, I will compromise scripture for applause. And if I love feeling significant more than I love serving the Lord, then I will only do things that make my name great. And if I love being in love more than I love giving love, then all of my relationships will be self-centered and cancerous. And I will be a drain on the people around me. I cannot love anything more than I love the Lord because I cannot love those things well if I don't love him. He purifies my love for others. And my love for things that are unholy and unrighteous defile my love for the Lord. And they dishonor him. And I can't love him well. So the Lord is asking us to prepare a place for him. I want to close here with a moment of just prayer, repentance, and worship. Chapter 7, verse 1. Let's put it back up for a second. Paul gives us instructions. Since we have these promises, my beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, 
bringing holiness to completion in the fear of the Lord. So I want us for a moment to prepare a place for him in our hearts and to repent and to confess and to allow the blood of Jesus, which covers a multitude of sins, wash us clean and make us holy and pure. And I want us to unburden ourselves from things that have weighed us down. And I want us to take a moment to cut the ties of the things that we've yoked ourselves to, the things that have been pulling us out of the will and the presence and the pleasure of God. And a moment like this takes, it takes faith to believe that is possible. Um, The act of repentance takes extraordinary faith. Because the act itself is pretty simple. Like it's pretty straightforward. It takes a repentant heart, but it's, but it's words from your mouth to God saying, Lord, forgive me for my sin. I no longer want to walk in that way. God, I want to turn from pursuing those things to follow and to love you. So Lord, I repent And it takes great faith in that moment to believe that 1 John 1, 9 is true. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. Do you feel different? Do you look different? I don't know. But do you have faith to believe that God did it? Do you have faith to believe that God, that God cleansed you, that he purified the temple, that he washed you clean? It takes faith to believe that when you make a confession of faith that God has done the work on the other side of it. Do you, do you feel saved? I don't know. I know Christians who've been Christians for 30 years going like, pretty sure I'm saved. Like I think, I think I know that I am. What is the assurance that we have? The assurance that we have is Jesus Christ, his work on the cross. This takes faith to believe that that moment accomplished what it was set out to accomplish. So here's what I want us to do. I don't know if we've got keys or anything, but uh, would you just stand with me? And we're going to close here, and we're just going to pray for a few minutes. And if you need someone to lay hands on you, if you need to have a moment of confession or whatever that might look like, you can come down to the front, and we'll have some people that can just lay hands on you. Um, the laying on of hands is just the impartation. It's just a spiritual act. It's a faith act to believe that the faith is joined together, that there is um, an impartation of the blessing or the prayer from one to another. Our pastors, our ministers will be down here to do that. If you need a moment just with the Lord, and you just need to sit or stand where you're at and just have a quiet moment with the Lord, I want you to do that as well. But the command of Scripture is clear. We have these promises. These things are true. What God has done, it is real. And since we have the promise, let's purify ourselves before the Lord. Let's cleanse ourselves of all unrighteousness. Let's bring holiness to completion in the fear of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we hear your word. We feel your love. We see it in scripture. We've experienced it in our lives. 
We acknowledge, Lord, that we have loved other things more than you. We acknowledge, Lord, that we've given second place in our hearts to you more than we've given you the first place. God, we've allowed all kinds of other loves to defile the temple, to defile our love, to defile our worship. But Lord, your promise is faithful and your word is true. That if we confess our sins, Lord, you are faithful and you are just, not only to forgive us, but to purify us. So Lord God, the maker of heaven and earth, we repent before you today. God, the things that have, that have burdened us, that have yoked us, that have weighed us down, Lord, in this moment, we repent of tying ourselves to things that are not leading us to you. And in this moment, Lord, we say we break the yoke. We break the yoke in the name of Jesus. We break the yoke. God, we come out from under the agreement of sin. We come out from under the agreement of the curse. We come out from under that which has held us in bondage for most of our lives. Lord, we lay it down. We unburden ourselves before you, Lord. What we bring to your altar, we don't take with us away from the altar, but we leave it at the altar. Lord, relieve us of the heavy weights that have burdened us. For the weight and the shame and the guilt that comes from impurity. There's a lie that many of us believe is that once you have been impure, you can never be pure again. I'm not so sure that I believe that because the blood of Jesus makes all things new. And what you might have walked in once does not now mark and define you for the rest of your life. You can be marked and defined by the purifying blood of Christ, his death on a cross that not only forgives you, but purifies you. Lord, we repent of our impurity. Forgive us and wash us clean. Lord, make us new. It's white as snow. It's white as snow. For those with, I want to say a broken heart, it could be relational pain, it could be bitterness towards another. I just want to pray for you that the love of God would be your portion in this moment. There is no love that satisfies but the love of God. And what we chase at in the natural, even when we get it, it doesn't satisfy us. But Lord, we receive your love, the pure love, the unadulterated love, the true love. Filling our hearts, mending our hearts, knitting us back together, strengthening our souls. For those burdened with bitterness and unforgiveness, cut the tie. Cut the weight. Release it to the Lord. Even if they did you wrong, Psalm 26 says, Vengeance is the Lord's. It's not your portion. It's not your portion. 
How often do I have to forgive God? Seven times? 70 times. As often as there is an offense, there is forgiveness to meet it, says the Lord. Lord, we unburden ourselves from the weights of life that weigh us down. encourage you in this moment whatever the spirit of God is touching on whatever he's bringing to mind this is your moment just to bring it to the Lord sometimes we do love our our things so much we give them to God and we take them right back and I just really want to challenge you tonight give it to him and leave it with him leave it with him you don't want it the heartache of unmet expectations, of hopes that you had for your life, dreams that you had for your life that are unfulfilled in this moment. Lord, we just profess that we trust you with the story of our lives. We trust you with it, God. You are a better author than we are. You know a better story than we do. So Lord, would you heal the hurting parts of our hearts? Strengthen us with faith to believe that there are better days ahead. Our latter days will be greater than our former days. That even though the night is dark now, the night does not last forever, that there is light on the other side and there is life on the other side. Holy Spirit, would you purify us, O Lord? Wash us white as snow. Make us clean. And Lord, we declare that we receive your love. God, we receive it. We choose to receive it. Lord, your heart is wide open. We open our hearts to you now. Let pride fall away. Let anger fall away. Just let it melt away from you. Let the hurt melt away from you for a minute. Just release it to the Lord. Just allow your heart to be soft to him. Allow your heart to be open to him. Courageously and boldly stand before him. Say, Lord, I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know how I'm going to get through. I don't know how to turn it around, God, but, but, I've, but I'm willing to trust you. I'm willing to trust you. Steadfast love of the Lord and his mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness, O Lord, unto me. I just had this, this image or this thought of what I know has defined my life at point and at many points, and maybe defines yours right now, but long seasons of of wandering, of just kind of like 
trying to make it work, trying to find your way, trying to figure life out, trying to, and you're just almost thrashing about to the left, to the right, to this new thing over here, to that new thing there, trying this, you're trying that. And I just, I just see the father just, just patiently waiting, just patiently waiting. Like I've watched my sons committed to figuring this out on their own and then they get to a point and they just go, dad, can you help me? And maybe that's your prayer tonight. Maybe that's all you need to pray. Dad, can you help me? I don't know how to do it. But I am willing to trust you. Lord, we declare in this place, you have the primary seat of our affection. You are our primary love. You are our one and only. You are the first and the last. God, we love you in this place and we receive your love in this place. God, there is no love that we love greater than you. There is nothing else, God, we will elevate above you. Everything else, Lord, is secondary. You have us and you have all of us. Thank you, Lord, that your forgiveness is faithful and effective, that you do not withhold it from us, that we are purified in your sight. That when we are saved, we are saved. And there is no going back. And although we wander in the natural, in the spiritual, our destination is secure. And Lord, it is that assurance, that great assurance of faith that allows us to love you with all that we have and to worship you with all that we have. Lord, we bless your holy name in this place, in the name of Jesus. Can you say amen? Let's give God praise. Thank you for your faith and for loving the Lord and for being here with us tonight. The Spirit is still doing something with you and you want prayer. Our prayer team will be down here in just a moment and they'd be more than happy to spend a few moments praying with you. Church, we love you. Have a great Wednesday night. Have a great Valentine's Day. And we'll see you on Sunday. Amen. Amen. You can go in peace.